I'm glad it's Sunday. Do you ever feel like that you just need a Sunday? Sundays are a little bit different for us. This is the day that the Lord was resurrected from the grave. This is the day that the gospel was first preached. This is the day that saints gather. This is the day that we remember. And sometimes in our busyness and all the things we do in life, we just need a Sunday. A Sunday to put our perspective back. A Sunday to help us. A Sunday to remind us of how important things are. It's so good and so wonderful to see each of you today. If you've got your Bible, turn with us to the book of Acts in chapter 1. We're going to have a study from that section. We are delighted each of you could be with us. Good to have Mike with us. And Larry said, I was sitting over there and I could hear Mike singing from over there. I thought, boy, his voice is back. And it's wonderful to hear that. We welcome those who are watching us also on live stream. Glad you could join with us. As we come to encourage one another and study the Word of God. Really appreciate the selection, Dylan, as you led us in singing today. The choice of songs are important. And he had songs that just touched my heart today as we think about that. When we get to Acts chapter 1, we have, as we're going to look at in just a moment, from verses 6 to 12, what we call a reality moment. And every once in a while in life, you have those. You remember back when you were about 16 years old, maybe late 15, you'd gone through driver's ed, you'd studied the manual, you've seen the films, you talked about it, and then for the first time you're putting that car on the highway. You weren't driving around city streets, you're on that ramp, and here comes everybody flying right by you. That was a reality moment. There's no stopping that car now, you were all in. You remember when that first little baby was born? Grandma and Grandpa were there with you at the hospital. They took pictures, and everything was wonderful. And then Grandma and Grandpa go home, and you bring that baby home for the first time. What a reality moment. A lot of our young men, including Bryce this evening, have been studying to preach the gospel. He'll be standing up here tonight to preach. He's studied and practiced and practiced and practiced. But tonight he'll stand on this side of the pulpit, and all of you will look at him. That's a reality moment. It really is. And that's what takes place in Acts chapter 1 as we think about this. Let's read the text, if you will. Acts chapter 1, and let's begin with verse 6 and read down to verse 12. Just setting the scene, a couple things just to remind yourself of. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, also wrote this. This is like volume 2 of what he wrote in the Gospels. At this point in the book of Acts... Jesus has already died. He's already been resurrected. He's still on earth with the apostles. So begin down verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. And we'll read down here to verse 12. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? 
This Jesus has been taken up into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Now, the last chapter of the book of Luke tells us that this takes place near Bethany. And that's what we see. This is the ascension of Jesus. And what's interesting about this is multiple times in his ministry, Jesus has explained his coming death and his resurrection. Very early in the Gospel of John, John chapter 2, Jesus says, tear down this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They thought of building. He was talking about himself. I'm going to die, but in three days I'm going to be raised. He talked about his resurrection multiple times. He even talked about the second coming. In Matthew chapter 25, there's a series of three parables. It begins with the wise and the foolish virgins. The story there is the groom went away. That was Jesus. But I'm coming back. And then there was a parable of the talents. The master gave each of them different amounts of money, and he went away, but he came back. Jesus oftentimes explained his second coming. What he didn't talk about much was his ascension. I'm going to leave you. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, the Gospel of John gives us just a few glimpses of this here and there. He says, for instance, in John chapter 14 and verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. If I go. Kind of vague what he's saying there. Again, in the 14th chapter, After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Again, in chapter 14, he would say, You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. He would say in the 16th chapter, again, the same idea. He would say, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me where are you going because you have said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Now when we look at our text here in Acts chapter 1, when we look at verse 6, we see that the disciples didn't really understand what was coming. It says in verse 6 that they came together. Is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? You have died. We saw that horrific death. They broke your legs of the people beside you, but they didn't break your legs because you were already dead. We saw them put you in a grave. Now it's been past three days, and we're with you. And so you've been dead, you're alive. Now maybe you're going to kick Rome out of Israel. Now maybe we'll be a powerful kingdom. Now maybe this is all that's going to take place. And Jesus responds by, you don't understand. You don't understand the times or the epics. And what he reveals to them is two things are going to happen. He tells them, first of all, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. It's going to come upon you, he says. And then he says, you will be witnesses of me everywhere you go. And that was the call. And then as they were talking to Jesus, the Bible tells us that in verse 11, looking up in the sky, he departed. And Jesus left them. And never again would they see Jesus on earth again. There are no more sermons to hear. There are no more miracles to witness. When they had a question, they couldn't say, hey, let's ask Jesus. Jesus is not here now. There's no one to say, you know what, guys? Your thinking is just not right. You need to be thinking this way. No one to remind them of these things. 
No one to explain things to them. No one to tell them things. Jesus was gone and he wasn't coming back. And it was at this moment, at this time, that reality set in. Is everything we've believed for the last three years going to come about? Is everything that he's taught us really true? And at this moment, they had to make a decision whether they were all in or they were not all in. This is real. Jesus is not with us anymore, and this is it. And before them stood two propositions. Either we're going to go back to Jerusalem where he wants us to be, or we're going to go back home to Galilee. The apostles were from Galilee. Galilee was their home. Galilee was their life. We can pick up our nets and go back to fishing like we used to do. We can do what we did before we knew this Jesus. Life was comfortable. Life was good before Jesus. What are we going to do? Are we going to go back to Jerusalem or are we going to go to Galilee? And when you look at Acts chapter 1 verse 12, the Bible says, Then they returned to Jerusalem. And that's what I want you to look at this morning with me. We want to talk about this very idea of Jerusalem and Galilee, the ascension moment, because we see that throughout the Bible. When Moses died, it was a similar thing to that. For 40 years, it had been Moses who led them. It was Moses in the Ten Commandments. It was Moses going before Pharaoh. It was Moses in the plagues. And then when Moses died, Joshua became the leader. Do we stay in the wilderness? We've been here for a long, long time. Or do we cross over into the promised land? Do we stay in Jerusalem or do we go to Galilee? Which will it be? And that's what you and I face. Because what you and I face is there are ascension moments in your life. There will be times in your life that your mom and dad will no longer be around. They'll pass through that door of death. Now, many of you have your moms and dads with you right now. What encouragement that is. You, you follow the Lord because they have set that example. You do what God says because they've been there. But what's going to happen when mom and dad are no longer here? What's going to happen when they don't tell you, hey, it's Sunday, we need to go worship? Are you going to go to Jerusalem and keep doing what's right? Or are you going to go home to Galilee with what's comfortable? What's going to happen when... A college that you want to go to is away from this area. And you don't have this congregation. And you don't have these familiar faces. And you don't have all these people that love you so much. Are you going to go on to do what the Lord wants you to do, to worship him in the correct way, to go back to Jerusalem, or are you going to go home to Galilee and say, you know what, it's not the same thing, I'm not going to do it anymore. What if you take a job in another place? Another city, another state. It's not the same thing as here. And again, you're faced with this proposition of, do I continue on with what the Lord wants me to do? Do I return to Jerusalem, or do I go home to what's safe and comfortable and easy? Now, for Peter, going to Jerusalem, it meant that the rest of his life was going to be changed. He was all in for Jesus. And that meant the rest of his life he's going to preach the gospel. He would be in prison. He'd be chased. He would be arrested. He'd face persecutions. That's what it meant to follow Jesus. Do I do what God wants me to do? Or do I go home to what's safe and easy? And what this lesson's all about is taking ownership of our faith. I think sometimes we hide behind the church. 
And we say, well, you know what? The church will help me. The church will do this. But what Jesus was saying to them is, you don't have them here. And we're going to see in a moment there's a time when the disciples won't have the apostles. That they would have to decide exactly what is right. Am I all in with Jesus? Do I believe this? If I showed up this morning and somehow the doors were unlocked, the lights were on, but no one else was here, would I say, great, I get to go home and sleep in? Or would I say, it's Sunday. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't know where the rest of the disciples are, but this is what I'm supposed to do on Sunday. All in with Jesus or not. And what's interesting, Jesus didn't just cross his fingers and hope for the best. What Jesus had done is he had got them ready for this point. And when they got to this point, that's where they could decide to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus did three things. First of all, he prepared them. He prepared the disciples for this very moment. Although they didn't fully understand the ascension, although they didn't fully understand that they would not have them with them all the time, he prepared them, first of all, by teaching them. And teaching them and teaching them. Turn with me in the Bible to Matthew 13 as one example. Here in the midst of all these parables, we find this wonderful statement in Matthew 13, verse 31. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it's full grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. What was Jesus teaching them? We're starting off small. We started off with 12, but Judas is no longer with us. And it's going to be just you 11 and a handful of others. That's pretty small. Probably less than we have in this room right now. And then you're going to go everywhere. But guess what? You're going to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. You're going to keep teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. And guess where the kingdom is today? The kingdom is all over the planet today. Here we are Sunday morning in America following Jesus Christ. That little bitty kingdom grew into a massive kingdom. So what was Jesus doing? He was preparing them. He was teaching them. He also did this by showing them. He showed them the way that should be. And so when we look at Acts chapter 1, do you remember what Jesus said? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Where did Jesus go? He went to Samaria. There's the woman at the well. He's showing the disciples. He would have Zacchaeus, a tax collector. He was showing the disciples. When they challenged by the Pharisees, Jesus was showing the disciples. Over and over, he was preparing them. Little did they know you're not always going to have Jesus right beside you. Little did they know, I can't just turn and say, well, Jesus, um, you answer that question, please. Little did they know they'd be on their own. But what Jesus was doing was getting them ready. And then what he did is he let them try. What we call the limited commission. He sent them out preaching. He sent them out doing some miracles. And all of that was preparing them for what was coming. Second thing that Jesus did in this is that Jesus also equipped the disciples. If you've got your Bibles, now go with me to John chapter 14. And notice again this flow in John 14 as it talks about Jesus and the apostles. John 14 verse 26, But the Helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Now, this doesn't go to everybody. This goes to the apostles. They would be the first preachers. Now, stop and think about this. Can you remember accurately, without any deviation, a sermon I preached three years ago? How about last week? How about me? I can't remember it. I've had people come out of the building and say, hey, about three weeks ago, you said that. And I said, I said that? I need to write that down. That's pretty good. I didn't know I said that. We don't remember, do we? And so these guys were to go into all the world and preach the gospel. How can you have John over there saying, well, Jesus said something like that. And Thomas is over here saying, well, you know, I think he said this. And the whole story's all messed up. You've ever played that game, the telephone game? The first person whispers and times it gets to that last person? That story is not the same story. So how are they going to get it right? How can we trust what's in here? This passage says the Holy Spirit would come to the apostles. He would teach them and remind them they would know accurately. Look again, if you will, in chapter 16. Chapter 16 of the book of John. Look at verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then he would say in verse 12, the same chapter, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I, uh, uh, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So what he's emphasizing once again is the apostles will know these things. Now, go back to the book of Acts, if you will. Notice chapter 2 and the first four verses. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were together in one place. And suddenly came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole place where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributed on them, and they rested on each one of them, the them as the apostles. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving utterance. Now tongues here is not like our Pentecostal friends who think it's kind of some kind of unknown Holy Ghost language, gibberish. This is known languages. These men were Galileans. They spoke Arabic. A few of them might be able to speak Greek. And here in a mixed audience, people from all over the world gathered for Pentecost. They're able to speak Egyptian, Babylonian, all the languages of the known world at that time, without having gone to school, without having anything to help them, they were able to do those things. So what Jesus is doing is, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not leaving you empty. I'm going to prepare you, and I'm going to equip you. And then the third thing he did was he commissioned them. He commissioned them to be those wonderful, wonderful witnesses. In Acts chapter 2, notice verse 32, 17 times, in the book of Acts, the expression eyewitnesses or witnesses is used. Acts 2, verse 32, the Bible says, This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Chapter 3, verse 15, it says, 
put to death a prince of life, the one whom God raised from the, fa- from the dead, a fact to which we are all witnesses. Chapter 5, verse 32, just another example of this. And we are witnesses of these things. Over and over, what he says, this is your role. This is your role as apostles. You are to go into all the world and be witnesses. We were there. We saw. We heard. We felt. We know Jesus, the God on earth. Now, what's interesting about this is turn with me now to Acts chapter 8. Because these apostles did the same three things to the early disciples. They prepared them, they equipped them, and they commissioned them. Notice Acts chapter 1, excuse me, Acts chapter 8, rather, verse 1. Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen, it says, with loud lamentations. Verse 4 says, therefore, those who have been scattered about when preaching the word. Go back to the end of verse 1. They're all in Jerusalem. Everybody scatters except, what's the exception? The apostles. The apostles stay in Jerusalem. Where's everyone else? They're scattered. Well, we need Peter. Peter's not here. We need John. John's not here. You're either all in or you're not in at all. Are you going to go back to Jerusalem or are you going to go home to Galilee? Now jump ahead to chapter 11 of Acts. Acts chapter 11. Because Peter is predominant in these next few chapters. And then we have Saul of Tarsus. But when we get back to Acts 11, look at verse 19. This is where the story picks up. Acts 11 verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose in connection with Stephen. That's just what we read about in chapter 8. They made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the words of no one except Jews alone. But there came some men also of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to Greeks, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. What do you see here? They didn't have the apostles reminding them, boys, it's Sunday, you better go to church. Um, um, Guys, you're going to preach this Sunday. No, the apostles were in Jerusalem. They didn't have the apostles. They were on their own. And yet, they returned to Jerusalem and did what they were right. They knew what to do. And that's what our lesson is going to be about today. I want to talk about just two points of application. Lots of things we could talk about. But let's talk about, first of all, parents. Your role as a parent is threefold, I believe. Following the same steps of Jesus. Every mother will like her kids stay at home forever. Every dad says, get a job and get out. You know, when my kids get in the dating age, I says, I want you to remember one thing. You leave as one, you do not come back as two. <laughs> You're out. And kids scatter. And that's the way it's supposed to be. As God talked about marriage, it says a man should leave his father and mother. And that's not just location, but that's also responsibility. And how do we get them there? First of all, we need to prepare them. Just as Jesus prepared the apostles, just as the apostles prepared the early disciples, this is what we need to do. You got your Old Testament, go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to know it's a familiar passage. We know this so well, but it brings to our hearts so many things that we need to appreciate here. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 5 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
5 through 9. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and, and, talk, and your daughters, and talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. And why tells us is really three things. Number one, to teach consistently. To teach over and over and over. To teach these things. Notice what it says in verse 7. When you sit down, when you rise up, when you lie down, they're always talking about the Word of God. To let them know that's okay to be different. To let them know that what the Lord says is right and good. And we need to follow the Lord. You see, there'll come a time in your life when your kids grow up. And they'll make a decision. Do I continue with this old gospel message? Do I keep following Jesus as mom and dad did? Do I return to Jerusalem? Or am I going to go back to Galilee? And a lot of that decision will be made based upon how you have taught them. Is church just something we do because that's just something we do? Or is this our life? Is this who we are? You cut into our DNA, and it's Jesus. It doesn't matter whether it's a Sunday or a Monday at school or a Tuesday at work or a Friday night with friends or a Saturday night at a ball game. We are people of God, and that never changes who we are, what we're supposed to do, and where we're supposed to be. And so the job is to teach them consistently. Don't let church be the only place they get this. Two hours a week is not very much. You need to be teaching them at home and teaching them consistently. Second thing I'd have you notice, teach them in a creative way. Use your imagination about these things. Notice again, verse 7, verse 8. As he talks about them, when you sit down, when you walk by your way, he says in verse 8, bind them as a sign on your hand, and they should be as frontals on your foreheads. He says, you should write them on the doorposts. He's, he's finding creative ways of teaching God's word. Don't just do it the same way. Go through all kinds of different ways. Get excited about teaching God's word. Don't make it tedious. Don't make it boring. Get excited. Ask questions. Create scenarios. Look up maps. Look at videos such as Appian Media. Go to the Creation Museum. Go go see that big old ark that's built over there. And, and, and work through scriptures together. Get them to see these things, how important that is. And then the third thing, of course, is to teach them convincingly. That you, are, that you convincingly understand this yourself. Again, notice verse 2 of our context as he talks about so that your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged again down in verse 20 when your sons ask you in time come saying what do these testimonies and these statutes and these judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you what's your answer going to be oh that's just the Bible that's just the old book the old Bible we got one Somewhere. No, you teach it convincingly because you're convinced. You stand upon this with all your heart. And so when Jesus got ready to leave, he could leave those apostles knowing that they were ready because he had prepared them. Moms and dads, if you were to leave this planet, you're confident your kids are going to keep walking with Jesus? 
Don't be saying, well, I'm, I'm really hoping they will. Don't be crossing your fingers. Be opening that Bible. Second thing, as we think about this lesson, it's the idea of not only preparing them, but equipping them. Your kids need to have their own Bible. And as they get older, they need to get a serious Bible. And as they get older, they need a Bible that they can underline in. Yeah, it's on their phone. That's good, but it may not be the same thing. You need to bring a notebook for your children. Not to color in, not to play tic-tac-toe, but to take notes, to learn, to grow, equipping them. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get them to learn things, to understand these things. This is the way of God, and we must do this. Jesus could leave because he knew his apostles were in the right place. Sure, they would miss them. Sure, it'd be easy if they could just turn and say, hey, Jesus, what should we do here? But he had prepared them in such a way that they could function without him. Can your children function without you spiritually? Would they know the difference between God's church and the church of the world? Would they say, I, I don't understand why we don't hire an elephant and give elephant rides in here. That would be cool. I don't understand why we don't have guys going up and down the road selling popcorn like at the ball game. You see, if your kids don't know the difference, you need to start teaching them. And that's important. And then thirdly, commission them. Commission them by getting them to understand that they have a role and a place and God's counting on them. Turn with me to the Bible, if you will, the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. As Paul was writing that young man, Timothy, notice what he says here. And a couple expressions. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, and then also verse 16. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as long as you do these things, it's salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now let me be blunt. And I may hurt you by saying this. But why is it in the past dozen years or more when I've been here, when we have a funeral of one of our members, here comes all the kids. We've never seen them before. They've never been at worship. Oh, they come to the funeral. They went to preach a preacher's funeral. But as soon as mama's in the ground, as soon as daddy's in the ground, as soon as grandpa's in the ground, you never see him again. Something's not right, is it? Something has happened. And what we're talking about is this idea of Jesus. He could leave those apostles because he left them in good hands. The apostles could leave those disciples because they left them in good hands. My question is, are we leaving our kids in good hands? We have to look at what we're doing. And maybe, just maybe, we need to step up our game. Maybe we need to take this more seriously as we think about these things. Now, the second point. That's the first point. Second point is for us older folks. And I believe that there's, there's a great need for us to do what we can as well. And we need to see the same, same, same points as we think about helping the next generation. And how do we help the next generation is, is we prepare them. We prepare them by faithfully teaching the Word of God. We stay with this, and we stay with this, and we stay with this. We do this by following the pattern that God has given us. 
And we do this by being godly examples in this building and out of this building. And we do what God wants us to do. So when somebody comes up to us and say, oh, I, want, I know one of your members. I know somebody goes to your church. What follows is a compliment, not, well, that guy cheated me. Oh, I know somebody goes to your church, and they lied to me. I know somebody goes to your church, and I can't believe he's a Christian. You see, us older people, we don't park it. We don't say, well, our time is over, and now it's just the younger people. It's up to us. Someday we turn the keys of this congregation over to someone else, and we have to make sure we prepare that generation. We also do that by equipping the next generation. Turn your Bibles, if you will, with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4, and let's notice just a couple passages here. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 11. This is the idea of developing them and helping them mature. But Ephesians 4 and verse 11, the apostle says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. There it is. For the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the major statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, as a result of all these things that happen above, we are no longer to be children. Tossed here and there by the ways, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is ahead, even Christ. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now listen to me. We're younger Christians here. We've got a bunch of younger Christians face of this church is changing it's getting younger and they need us older people they need us to advise them to be in their lives to encourage them and you can say well you know i'm here but they no one asked me they're not going to ask you i've got four young people in my family they're all married and have kids they're busy they're always busy they're always running they're always going somewhere they're always doing something you want to get in your life you put yourself in your life you invite yourself you say, hey, Joe, Mary Stewart, how about lunch this week? I'd just like to encourage you. Hey, over here, Dylan, let's go out to lunch this week. I would just like to encourage you. So as an older Christian in this congregation, you need to put yourself in there. You need to be their moms and dads away from home. You need to be the grandma and grandpas away from home. You need to be the encouragement. God has given you that, and I think that's part of preparing that for them. Let me tell you this wonderful story. True story. Okay, it's not one of my preacher stories. True story. A girl got married recently. She's going to have five bridesmaids. She didn't look at her family, her cousins, her sisters. She didn't go to classmates. She didn't go to her contemporaries. She picked out five older women in the church to stand up there with her. Two or three of them had been her Bible class teachers. And her statement was, these are the ladies that help shape my heart. These are the ladies that help build my character. And she wanted to honor them by saying, I want you in my wedding. That's the type of impact we're talking about. You can have that when you do what God wants you to do. And so then we see the idea of commissioning them. 
commissioned them to understand that there's a role that they have to play. In the book of Romans in chapter 12, Paul would say it this way as he talked about our service and the things that we do. He says, and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the propitiation of his faith, if service and serving, if he who teaches in his teaching, he goes on to list these things. But what he's saying is the idea that you need to step up and do what you can. We've been trying to do that publicly with some of our young men by having them preach. But all of this is, someday, they will be where we are. And the question remains, it's either return to Jerusalem and do what Jesus wants us to do, or go home to Galilee, which is so much safer. And so that's what we want to think about. It begins first with your own faith, taking ownership of your faith, and seeing how valuable that is with these things. 16-year-old Hannah was pulling the driver's head car out for the first time. Her instructor said, turn left, Hannah. And as she's turning left, the instructor says, now, Hannah, let the people know behind you where you're going. So she turned to the back seat where the other students were and says, I'm turning left. Now, that's kind of cute. But there's a wonderful idea there. We need to let the people know behind us where we're going. Where are we going? And we need to let them know. Many of you know Brother D. Bowman. Dear, dear, dear friend of mine. Probably in this generation has done more good than any preacher. I wouldn't be preaching today if it was not for him. He passed away Thursday. I fly down this afternoon to go to his funeral tomorrow. But if you ever heard D. Bowman speak, he had one thing he'd always say at the end of the sermons. And so, rather than me, I'm going to let you listen to the words of Brother Bowman. Say something to you people. I don't care if you become the most popular person that ever lived in your life. I don't care if you become the most famous person that ever lived. People know you from third, fourth, and fifth world countries. I don't care if you become so rich that the stock market moves at your behest. I don't care how powerful, how beautiful you are, how famous you are. Listen to me. If you miss heaven, you've just missed all there is. that it? Isn't that it? The most important thing is not getting that kid a scholarship. It's not the trophies you have. It's not the letters after your name. It's not your stock portfolio. It's not who you know. Not what names you can drop. But you, you going to heaven. And that's our thoughts today. The ascension moment. All of us are going to have it one time or another in our life. One time in our life, the people that are around you that have been spiritual, that helped you, won't be there. And then it'll be up to you. Do I continue on with what's right and go to Jerusalem and do what my Lord wants me to do? Or do I just go back home where it's easy? Fishing nets or preaching? That's what it comes down to.
If we can help you in any way, if you need to be baptized, won't you come as we stand, as we sing?